Hello, everybody, and welcome to April's edition of the Information Crossroads podcast. I'm Jonathan Carmody, editor for Latin America, and I have two guests on today to discuss Latin American issues with us. Firstly, we'll speak to Francisco San Clemente, manager of Renovatio Trading in Colombia, and we'll be talking a lot about electricity consumption during the COVID-19 crisis, as well as some of the activity that Renovatio are seeing in the region with regards to renewables. After that, I'll be discussing our first quarter league table report with Giulio Comellini from our analyst team. Giulio and I will be discussing some of the important deals and the trends that we identified across the sectors during the first quarter. So to begin, Francisco, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Francisco, for those who are not aware, could you give a brief description of Renovatio and the two sides of the business? Sure. Um, Renovatio is an European company with headquarters in Portugal. Uh, we have presence in uh, Latin America, both in Colombia and Mexico. In Colombia, uh, we're doing really well. Uh, we have two lines of businesses or two different companies. One is a wind developing company, which uh, is arguably the most successful wind developer in Colombia, having been awarded uh, around 83% of the capacity that was awarded in Colombia's first renewable energy auction. And then we have an energy trading company, of which I'm a general manager, and we serve uh, or provide electricity to final consumers in the Colombian market. Excellent. Now, it's a very exciting time in the Colombian energy market with the introduction of many more renewables projects. Traditionally, I understand the matrix was dominated by hydro and certain thermal generation plants, which operated more as a backup or as peakers. But could you explain a little bit some of the things that have been happening recently in Colombia regarding the shift to renewables and the auction that occurred last year? Sure. Um, the country and the current government uh, are committed to shift the, 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 the grid towards uh, more renewable energy. You were writing that we have, or we are very heavily um, hydro-based, mm -hmm. about 70 or 80% of our energy, um, unless there is a scarcity of rain, is provided by hydroelectric uh, plants. Mm -hmm. uh, but this, this, this that we want to move into renewables, and we have, and uh, it took two, two tries to get the, the, the first renewable energy auction last year to be successful because the first one failed. Um, so we're moving in that direction, but to get to the point where the projects will be developed up and running, it will take a while still, right? Could be two to three years. Let's see if this, um, this whole thing of the coronavirus is going to delay the projects or not. I would expect it will. Uh, but we also have problems with the, the, with the construction of the transmission lines, which are going to probably make uh, or, or move uh, the expected dates of operation of those projects a bit. I see. Yeah, and that's something that we've seen in Mexico as well. There was some initiatives under the, the previous regime of Peña Nieto to attempt to construct transmission lines through PPP or concession contracts. They were ultimately unsuccessful, but we understand that the government will, will require new transmission to really relieve some of the congestion in the grid 
that renewable projects are causing when they come online. Obviously, it's very important to be able to move that electricity around the country to where it's most needed. So that's going to be a, a key consideration for Colombia as well, much in the same way that Mexico has that issue. Um, Francisco, could you explain a little bit around the trading business of Renovatio and how that fits into the Colombian energy market in general? Sure, we operate in, uh, in the two different markets uh, that uh, supply energy to the final user. Um, there are two markets, ba basically because of regulatory or, or the way the regulation has been structured. Depending on the consumption of, of, of the customer, it will qualify into the regulated market or the non-regulated market. Mm -hmm. So basically, is the state saying, if you're big enough, we understand you're wise enough to, to, to negotiate your own terms for your energy. You can negotiate your price and you can negotiate your term. Uh, but if you don't consume enough energy uh, per point of energy supplied, then you fall into the regulated market and it will be the state with a clear guideline that will uh, regulate your price and, and, and the terms that you will uh, be consuming energy. So, Francisco, you've been doing some interesting <clears throat> research around COVID-19, around the coronavirus's impact on energy uses in different countries around the world. I'd love you to share some of that research with us today and, and let us know what you've been seeing in terms of the decline in usage. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about what that will mean for some of the generators in Colombia and possibly some of the contracts as well. Sure. What I, what I did in my research uh, was a very simple estimation using uh, public data from the different uh, uh, countries. I analyzed Spain, Italy, mostly because we're, those were the two main focuses of the coronavirus as they started after China, obviously. Uh, then Germany and the UK. Uh, Germany because it's the engine of Europe and the UK because UK was being a bit lax in terms of the lockdown at the beginning. Um, obviously, analyze the US. Uh, and in the US, I analyze particularly uh, the state of New York and the state of California. And in the Latin American market, I analyzed Colombia and Peru. And what I've seen, what, what I did basically was to take the average uh, demand of energy in the period before the lockdowns started. So since the 2nd of February until the 13th of March and calculated the average demand per day of every single market. And then I would track what, what the demand would be day by day once the lockdown started in different countries. And what, what, I, what I found, which is quite interesting, well, that's, I have to say that I haven't adjusted for, for weather or things like that, because I expect that particularly in the first two weeks, if you see a massive drop in demand, it's not going to be because the weather changed, it's going to be probably most likely the effect of the, of the lockdown of the coronavirus. But what I've seen, uh, seems to be very uh, consistent across the countries. And what I wanted to see here was first, uh, what could I expect uh, for the trading in terms of the, of the falling demand? Mm -hmm. And second, what the economic impact could be in the, in the different countries? Because obviously the, the, the drop in demand is explained by the whole industry shutting down, right? Right. Yeah, it's a so correlation between the demand of demand from factories, from consumers, 
and and from large scale retail as well i'm sure exactly um so what i've seen is pretty consistent one week after the 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 lockdown started in spain the demand fell by 9.5 percent mm -hmm. right that would be the week of the 22 22nd of march mm -hmm. That same week, 22nd of March, obviously the lockdown started earlier in Italy. And also they had some sort of partial lockdown in the north of Italy, in the zone of uh, Lombardia. They make some sort of orange zone. Mm -hmm. But this on this same week, the demand in Italy fell by 17%. And in the north of Italy, it fell by 19%, which is crazy. By that same time, in the U.S., the demand had fallen only 7%, 2.8% in the California state, and 8.3% in New York. In Germany, it had fell by 6%, in the U.K. by 5%, in Colombia by 7%, and in Peru by 33%. Mm. When you see the week before Eastern, the full week, the demand in Spain had fallen by 19%. Mm -hmm in Italy by 24% and 30% in the North, 12% in the US, 10% in California and 14% in New York, 11% in Germany, 18% in the UK, 16% in Colombia, and 31% in Peru. So it seems somehow that the trend would be towards a 30% fall in demand if this coronavirus continues without okay. taking into account possible bankruptcies right because that would make that would make it fall even further and what is going to be the implication for for generators on the back of these trends you know we we're still unaware of how long the coronavirus outbreak is going to affect the economy how long we'll be under lockdowns and so how long industry will effectively be shut down. So I'm curious, for those who have who have contracts to buy energy, those who have contracts to sell energy, you know, how is this going to affect the market and and how they're doing business? Here's where the type of contracts that you have will become incredibly important, both as a generator and as a buyer of energy. Mm -hmm. In our case, uh, we have structured our contracts in a way that we cap the energy that we buy at our demand. So as our demand gets depressed, or if our demand gets depressed because uh, we're, we have grown so fast this year that we're growing faster than the drop in demand. So okay. in, 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 uh, in net terms, we are flat, right? But if it were to fail 30% because our contract is capped at our demand, the quantity of energy is capped at our demand, uh, we wouldn't have any impact. We wouldn't be buying any excess energy, right? Mm -hmm. some, some others would have contracts where you just have to uh, uh, take or pay, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a take or pay, if you're a generator, if you have a take or pay, uh, you wouldn't suffer unless your counterparty becomes uh, stressed in terms of working capital, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are the acquirer of the energy, then 
you have to take or pay that energy. So you will obviously take it and you will sell it in the spot market. Right now, the spot market, um, the prices of the spot market are high. Mm -hmm. So it means that uh, you wouldn't expect any any losses on, on the acquirers of the energy. We've had a very interesting year because even though an official Nino hasn't been declared, the prices of the spot market have been very high uh, throughout the year. Could you give and, us an example of the price? Yeah, sure. For example, two, three, two months ago, we reached highs of about 600 pesos per kilowatt hour. That would be in dollars about 150, 180 dollars per kilowatt hour. There were moments that were that high. If you see the levels of the um, downs, they are historic. They are in their historic lows right now. So it's very interesting because a Nino hasn't been declared, but we, we we are behaving in the same way as the later months of the previous Nino. Right. Okay. So eventually it will start to rain. And when it start and, uh, and when that happens, the spot market, the prices in the spot market will go down. So the energy acquirers that will have to sell all that energy that they cannot sell to their final consumers because the demand has been depressed could be selling that energy at very low prices in the spot market and, and losing millions. Right. And that sounds like it's going to have a dramatic effect then. Right now, in terms of the, the project developments, is, are there any issues at the moment around the contracts in terms of being able to advance with the construction of plants? I understand that the country is more or less in a complete lockdown, similar to most of the other countries in the region. Could you talk about if there are any issues around that, around the development of projects right now because of the crisis? Well, what I know is that the government uh, launched a communication asking developers and constructors to, to, to explain or to, to foresee the possible delays or the possible impacts that this lockdown will have on the different projects. And they're analyzing that information, but it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been uh, published. But I can expect it will have, well, it depends on how long it lasts, this lockdown, right? Mm. If, if we sure. open in one month, in terms of the construction of the projects, I don't think it will have a massive impact. But what would probably have a massive impact is um, the currency. The Colombian peso has been heavily depreciated in the last four months. So it, it would depend on the, whether developers have their capex uh, already uh, negotiated, right? And if the price or, or, or the exchange rate at which the prices would be translated are already fixed. And if not, they could see a substantial increase in their prices. Okay. Yeah, that's certainly going to be a concern for a lot of developers. Indeed, I was speaking with, I've been speaking with a few developers uh, because uh, we want to, in Renovatio, we want to launch the first renewable the first private renewable energy auction. We want to do that. We want to do that in the second semester of this year. And we've been in contact with several developers to encourage them to participate in our auction and, and get the market, uh, kick, kickstart the private market. 
Okay. And what what we've been what we've been hearing is that they're very uncertain what price they would be willing to sign an energy contract precisely because of the current because of the current exchange rate. Okay. No, that's really exciting. Yeah, again, we we saw Mexico beginning to 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 run private auctions, and so it seems like a logical step in the development of renewable businesses within Latin America. So that's very exciting news, Francisco. We look forward to hearing more about that. Um, in terms of Renovatio's projects, I know it's not an area you're directly involved with, but is there any update you can give us on the construction of those projects at all? No. <laughs> okay. We'll have to we'll have to invite your colleagues for the next time. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Well, Francisco, thank that's you so very much for your your contribution. No, thank you very much for inviting me, and I hope uh, what we share has been in, uh, insightful. Absolutely, absolutely. We hope to welcome you back again soon to to see if the trend continues. Hopefully, after the coronavirus lockdown is ended, I will be happy to. Fantastic. Continuing then, we recently published an information news, our first quarter 2020 league table report. And here to discuss it with me is Giulio Comalini from our analyst team. Hello, Giulio. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Excellent. Giulio, we, we were talking about the league tables as we were preparing them. Uh, you were very involved with the data. And so I'd like you to just start by telling us how bad was it yeah well it was it was quite bad we saw a clear decline in the project finance activity in all types of deals um, i think it's very very easy to understand it if we just compare two numbers uh, we passed from 11.5 billion dollars of 2019's first quarter to 7.3 billions of this year's first quarter. wow with a big yeah it had like drop in every type of sectors. And the biggest drop was in the, the refinancing activity year over year. And I think this is a very interesting data to look at because refinancing transactions were the were the main player, the, the boost of the 2000 activity during the whole year with more than 100 transactions accounting for $22 billion. But this mm -hmm. quarter uh, activity has not kept up the same pace and only seven transactions reached their financial close. So this is, this is a pretty big uh, drop, uh, but uh, the lower decreases, if we just analyze the, uh, the deal types, has been the Greenfield activity, where 20 projects reached their financial close. Even if uh, everything got to be a little uh, analyzed, and if you look at these figures, we need to keep in mind that, that uh, 13 out of those 20 projects were renewables. So... Uh, if you look at the more traditional uh, infrastructure, which is, uh, let's say, roads or transportation, not Greenfield Roads uh, projects reached the financial close in the, in the entire region. And the only one in the transportation sector was the Salaverri port in, in Peru. Sure. So it was very peculiar. It was very peculiar. And, you know, we published the report with several charts. I think the first bar chart with the, the graph showing the progression quarter over quarter yeah. of project financing, renewable uh, refinancing activity and everything else, you know, that the drop is, is, is incredibly stark when you compare it against the other quarters. First quarters can be typically slow. Uh, last year was, was slightly lower than the year before. Um, and that one was lower than the first quarter in 2017. 
but we really recognize that there was a, a heavy drop here. Now, there were a few factors responsible for that. When we were looking at what was happening in the region, I think we were talking about certainly some of the, the social conflicts that were happening in places like Colombia and Chile, where they have massive demonstrations. We saw the oil prices obviously coming into play towards the end of the quarter, as you know, anybody involved in the energy sector would have been concerned about what kind of pricing they were going to get on the resources and on the commodities that they were trading. And also, we saw that Mexico was determined to continue its anti-private investment policies. Uh, they were arguing with renewable developers about the sales and the subsidies to renewable projects. Uh, and in the meantime, the only economy that really stuck out was, was Brazil, where they're heavily in favor of privatization of many, many state assets in the infrastructure sector. And they have an extensive program of, of greenfield investment projects as well. Uh, were there any other trends that you recognized in the region at all, Julia? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, actually, I just wanted to add that I uh, completely agree with what you said uh, about the factors that, ca the, that caused this slowdown. I think we also need to, uh, should add probably the fact that we see almost daily these rating, uh, rating agencies that are downgrading both sovereign ratings and SPDs ratings. And this doesn't make things uh, easy, of course, for uh, for investors. They just increase the uncertainty uh, towards the market. So I think I think this is this is a big uh, a big factor as well. Um, uh, talking about trends of this quarter, uh, I think that uh, if we look at the M and A's uh, sector, for instance, the market this year has been driven by a couple of uh, big financial closes, even if the number was of uh, the entire transaction was, was lower. Um, we saw Northland Power's acquisition of EPSA, which is the Empresa de Energía de Boyacá, which is mm -hmm. a distribution company uh, based in Colombia, and it was sold by a uh, Brooklyn Control Fund. It was a deal that was worth more than $700, and it was the top deal we registered uh, in terms of economic size this quarter. Another very, very important uh, deal was the uh, sale of Empresa Sica's assets in Mexico to, to MIP, Mexican Infrastructure Partners, and this was another over $500 million deal. Um, talking about our trends, I think it's interesting, as we pointed out before, that renewables deal, where uh, the bigger amount of, um, of deals among Greenfield uh, transactions, and as you, as you said, m most of them were located in Brazil. Brazil, the uh, one of the biggest, probably the, actually the biggest uh, economy of the region, um, as you said, presents many opportunities in all type of deals, but they also register a drop in the infrastructure financial activity. One reason, as our reporters pointed out, is that um, the development bank, the BNDES, has been reducing its role and its um, 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 help as main traditional lender to uh, private investors. Yeah, that's something that people have been anticipating for a long time, but clearly it's a gradual transition away from BNDS and something that perhaps the commercial banks weren't ready to, to step up quite in time for this crisis, but certainly something that we'll analyze looking forward. Julio, thanks very much for, for sharing your, your insight into some of these deals and some of these trends. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Excellent. Well, we hope for the 
improvement of conditions moving into the second quarter. Uh, we continue to speak to our sources to produce timely reporting on transactions that are continuing and sadly those that are not. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll continue to provide you with the best updates we can regarding project finance activity in Latin America.